Welcome to the Powered by Age Age-Friendly City Zoomcast Reality Style Podcast. We are movers and shakers, shaking up the old notion of silent, helpless, invisible seniors. This is a new series of podcasts funded by the City of Vancouver and the 411 Senior Center Society. As PBA AFC ambassadors, we raise awareness, share our original stories and poems, inform, advocate, and involve seniors in discussing important social issues. In short, these podcasts will help us, you, in creating an age-friendly city for Vancouver today, tomorrow the world. You can hear us everywhere podcasts are heard. Hello and welcome to Powered by Age. This is an age-friendly senior-led podcast sponsored in part by the, the uh, 411 Senior Center and the City of Vancouver. Uh, today, Robin is our special facilitator for our Pride Celebration Day. So, uh, Robin, you can introduce yourself. And what we usually do is ask each person, say your name and give an adjective or a verb that reflects who you are. Uh, hi, Charlotte, and uh, all of the attendees today on the podcast, as well as listeners. Uh, my name is Robin, and I am a little gloomy today <laughs> with the with the dark. Uh, Marion. Hi, I'm Marion. I'm on the board of the 411 Senior Center, and I'm busy. Uh, Leslie? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm Leslie. I live in New Westminster, and I guess you could call me interested in the session today. Great. Uh, Janie? Um, yes, my name is Janie, and I guess I would say I was less tired than usual today. Uh, we'll go to Cynthia. Hi, um, I'm Cynthia, and I think in the spirit of pride today, I am feeling colorful. Nice. <laughs> uh, Chris. Uh, I'm Chris, and I'm with uh, Quirky out of the Britannia Community Center, although like everybody else, we're all on Zoom these days, and I'm recovering. Uh, next, we'll go to Kendra. Hello, everybody. My name is Kendra, and I'm known in our culture as a knowledge keeper and elder. And thank you for inviting me today. And finally, Farron. Uh, yes, my name is Farron, and uh, I think I've been described as a workaholic, and I'm pledging to retire in October. So hopefully I'll have more time for writing and for podcasts. Great. Well, welcome uh, to everyone. Uh, I just want to begin by saying that this podcast is created on the unceded and ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and the Tsleil-Waututh peoples, and that um, the work that we do here on the podcast, which is bringing the voices of seniors to, to light, um, I think we also need to keep in mind that, you know, being an age-friendly city uh, means that we incorporate and include all the voices that are generally uh, left out of uh, a lot of mainstream conversations. And so 
Um, today we're going to hear some voices of uh, folks who also typically get left out of the, the mainstream conversation. And uh, I'm really happy to, to pass things over to Chris in, in a moment. But uh, I know that Marion has a very special um, announcement that we're going to just start off with first. Um, do you want to tell us what we need to know, Marion? Okay, and I want to thank you for making time for me on this amount for this. I really appreciate it. So, in the spring, the federal government announced, due to after the federal government announced that they would maintain a senior's guaranteed income supplement or GIS till October 1st, even if they hadn't filed the income tax. And we were all happy with that. But what happened last week when seniors received their old age security and their guaranteed income supplement, um, direct deposit in the mail, lo and behold, for those seniors who hadn't done their income tax, there was no guaranteed income supplement. Oh this caused a number of seniors to, to be very upset because they couldn't pay rent, they couldn't pay food, etc. The staff at 411 worked really hard and we rectified it. But for August and September, people who are on the guaranteed income supplement need to know that what, what the federal government is going to do. You're going to, uh, on check issue day and the day your, your, your old age security and CPP is payable, if you have not done your income tax or your income tax has not been processed, you will only get your old age security. The following day, you should get your guaranteed income supplement direct deposited. We've asked them about people who get their um, OAS by the mail, and they've ensured us that it should also be the following day in the mail. So people need to understand that in August and September, September, when you get your OAS and your GIS guaranteed income supplement isn't included, it should come the next day. The best way the, to, to avoid this happening is to get your income tax done. The 411 senior runs a free income tax clinic Monday to Thursday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at 333 Terminal. You bring in your, this is for low income seniors. If you make under 35,000 for single, under 45,000 for a family, and we'll do your income tax and we'll file it electronically. This is really a way to avoid having your GIS impacted. So I want to thank you for giving me the time. And if there's any questions, I'll take them. If not, I have to go to another meeting. Great, thank thanks, Marianne. Uh, maybe, maybe we can post in the chat um, the, the address to the 411 Senior Center if, uh, if folks don't know where that is. And, uh, and I'll try to find a link maybe for uh, more information about uh, about that that I can post in the chat also. Um, Chris, there the slides switched around, but uh, we're going to pass the baton to Chris, who will be graciously hosting 
um, this this episode and introducing our our readers and presenters for the day. Uh, take it away. Thanks, Robin. Um, I'm I'm very honored and happy to have this opportunity. As those who know me know, I'm never short of words. So I hope that I. I hope that I'm able to provide some direction and information and not be totally overwhelming. Um, so I have made some notes because I want to make sure that the important things I get, I want to say are included. So I guess the first thing that I want to um, acknowledge and recognize is that a lot of things have changed in Canada since, um, since, the, since the Prime Minister and the parliament decriminalized homosexuality in 1969. Um, many people refer to Stonewall as uh, the beginning of, 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 of pride. However, in Canada, we need to recognize that also the same year, 1969, homosexuality was decriminalized. So, Pride, which we celebrate once a year, not always the same month as everybody, but it's always been an opportunity to represent solidarity, collectivity, and identity, as well as resistance to discrimination and violence. These days, there's a lot more celebration and acknowledgement uh, of what we've achieved and who we are. I want to just talk a little bit about the difference between acceptance and welcome. Over the years, there's been a lot of effort uh, put into uh, being LGBTQ folks being accepted. Well, that's great. However, there is another level that's called welcome, which is a little bit more than just being accepted. You know, well, grudgingly, we'll accept you. And so one of the things that's really important is to recognize that because of who we are and because of the lives we've lived, um, our experience is different from many other people. And therefore, we have the ability to contribute things that are different. And so we, we, we want to be welcomed into the community, into the society, recognizing that we have something unique sometimes to offer. So there's been lots of gains in Canada since 1969, but there are also some gaps. Um, most of us have learned about and, and are more open to the trans community. There are still trans women who are murdered, assaulted, discriminated against in so many areas of life just for being trans. Over the years, the lesbian community has struggled with recognizing trans women as women, and there's still a long way to go. In June of 2017, the, there was a recognition of gender identity and gender expression that as federally protected grounds in the Canadian Human Rights Act and the Criminal Code of Canada. So 2017, that's only three years ago. And when something becomes a law, it's great that it's a law, but things need to, I don't like trickle down, but things need to go down to go reach, reach people who in their, in their daily lives. 
Another area of concern where there's a gap and that relates to us, particularly those of us who are here, uh, has to do with becoming older. Many of our community, a generation above us, have had a long history of needing to hide their sexual orientation or gender identity and carry them and, and, have, and have experienced a lot of fear uh, and, and, and abuse. Um, and so it's very difficult for them as now older adults to actually feel secure and comfortable in terms of receiving uh, any of the senior service sectors. I'm just going to do a personal thing. When my, my partner Bridget was diagnosed with dementia a few years ago, and at some point she was in a residential care facility. And so um, I, I was there on a regular basis. And one of the things that I, I noticed was that at the facility, they always celebrated Christmas, Easter, Chinese New Year, Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day. So I so I thought, oh, what's missing? I said, well, what's missing for me is that we have the opportunity to celebrate pride. And so it took me and my initiative to go to the staff and say, so what about including something that is a, that, that is a pride celebration for those who are here in the facility who are out and proud and for those who may not be out because of their life experience. So we actually did have a little pride celebration. Um, I, I hope since my partner has, has died that it continues, so I don't know for sure if that's the truth. Um, then the another area down at the other end of this age spectrum uh, that's a real concern to our community is youth. Um, and particularly youth suicide. Um, a study has shown that sexual minority youth were 3.5 times as likely to attempt suicide as their heterosexual peers. Transgender adolescents were 5.87 times more likely. And we don't have actual um, details on uh, these are the actual suicides, but there have also many, been many suicide attempts and attempts to harm oneself that are not included in those stats, but that are part of the reality of youth. And finally, what's near and dear to my heart is we have so many privileges here in Canada. Yes, a lot of them we've had to fight for. Well, I think almost all of them we've had to fight for. Nothing's really been handed to us on a silver platter. And yet we have achieved a lot over the years. And so um, it's important for me to recognize the privilege that those of us who live here have, and to recognize that there's many countries in the world where people, LGBTQ people, still fa face death, or imprisonment. And so it's important for me that we look beyond the borders of Canada and look to a more, have a more global perspective so that um, we're not isolated in, we're not isolated, but in fact, we're part of the larger global community of LGBT people. 
So that's kind of a bit of an overview. I'm sure there's a lot more I could say, but I think that's enough. <laughs> so um, I'm going to introduce the, the three speakers that are here. There's one missing and I have sent, I've sent her uh, an email to see where she is. Um, so first off, I'm going to invite Cynthia to share what she's written. Thank you very much, Chris. Um, I, I, I feel that I have to sh share something else about the meaning of today in order to clear my path to read about pride. And that is that as August 6th, this is the 75th anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima. Uh, the first time that people were killed en masse, 200,000 people lost their lives in one day. Over 66,000 um, buildings were flattened or incinerated by the actions of human beings against other human beings. And we are still living in an age in which this is a potentiality for everyone, every, every living being alive on this planet. We have not eliminated nuclear weapons in 75 years, and we need to do so immediately if we're all going to enjoy pride. Um, okay, moving on to my poem. Uh, this poem is called P-R-I-D-E, What Pride Means to Me. The persistence, purpose, and perseverance of the people pushed down, punished, and persecuted as pariahs. The resistance, resilience, and resourcefulness of the rebels against restrictive recipes of realness. The independence, integrity, and intelligence of the individuals insisting on the inalienable right to inhabit inner identities the determination, dedication, and devotion of the decent, decrying, defying, and demystifying the desperate denials of the deceivers. The elation, excitement, and exuberance of the enlightened, elevating, exhibiting, and expressing P-R-I-D-E. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you, Cynthia. That was amazing. Um, uh, I hope you're going to circulate. Oh, I think you have circulated this among Quirky. Um, the, the number of words that you were able to come up with, both both challenging and positive, was for each letter was really great. Um, and I think I need to spend a little bit more time listening to each of the letters and each of the words that goes along with the letters. So thanks a lot. That was fabulous. Um, I think we'll, I'll ask Farron to continue. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, I've been working on memoir with Corky for over a decade now. And uh, just recently, last couple of months, I ventured into fiction. Um, it's a totally different thing and it seems to have a mind of its own. The main thing is that I don't have to worry about offending relatives anymore. I'll just locate this for you. So Nathan is a young man who moved to Vancouver to live with his grandfather while he's studying medicine at UBC. He's fallen in love with a lovely young uh, Indigenous woman 
Um, and that has, uh, her grandfather lives on the Capilano Reserve. And her grandfather has an, a brother who is a fancy dancer and is involved in all the powwows. And uh, Nathan's grandfather is Jonathan. And uh, Clara's uh, grandfather's brother is Jake. So uh, I'll, just, I'll just jump in and uh, hopefully you have an idea of where this came from. In the following months, Jake and Jonathan exchanged invitations for meals at their respective places. Jonathan felt like a sponge soaking up all of Jake's enthusiasm for his culture. At first, he told himself that Jake's culture was what drew him in. He would chastise himself when he started having lustful feelings towards his new friend. Those feelings were something he had shoved deep inside for many years. He had loved his wife. He had never been unfaithful to her. But now he felt conflicted. His wife had passed away five years earlier. Laying in bed uh, alone at night, his mind would drift to images of Jake and his fancy dancer regalia. He became more and more frustrated, even thinking for a short time that he would just not see Jake anymore. The next morning, while having coffee, his hand would reach for the phone and without hesitation, ring Jake. He couldn't keep it in any longer. He didn't know um, how to go about finding a counselor, and if he did, would he feel comfortable explaining his feelings about Jake? Damn, shouldn't you know what side of the fence you are on by 70? He decided he would share his dilemma with Nathan. A couple of nights later, after dinner and a glass of wine, he asked Nathan to join him in the sitting room. I have something I need to talk to you about. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Well, maybe not so fine. A worried look crossed Nathan's face. What's up, Grandpa? I don't know where to start, Nathan. This all seems so crazy. You know I loved your grandma, right? Of course I know that. You guys set an example for all of us. What's this about? Well, you know I've been hanging out with Jake quite a bit. Yes, Clara and I are so pleased you guys hit it off. You seem different since you guys have been hanging out. You seem happier, Grandpa. I... I never heard you singing to yourself. And in the past few weeks, it's like you can't stop. Jonathan smiled. Well, I like Jake. He makes me happy. Nathan's face relaxed a bit. I really like Jake too, Grandpa. Jonathan took a deep breath. Well, Nathan, I really like him. I mean, really like him. There was a pause. Nathan held Jonathan's gaze. You mean really like him? Yes, Nathan. I feel so stupid. Do you think I'm going senile? Grandpa, are you saying you're in love with Jake? Well, now, just a minute. I'm not sure I'm ready for that love word. Nathan sighed. Grandpa, I thought you were going to tell me something really serious. Well, this is serious, don't you think? Nathan, I'm 70 years old, and I'm feeling like a love-struck school kid. Use that love word, Grandpa. And since when can people in their 70s, 80s, 90s, or whatever not fall in love? Does Jake feel the same way? Mm, not sure. I think he does, but I think he's just giving me some time to come around, maybe. Well, Grandpa, young people are always being told to not be in such a hurry. Take your time, they say. Grandpa, you loved and supported Grandma for 45 years. I'd say you have been taking your time. If you think this is the real thing, you need to move on it. Jake is hot. And Grandpa, honestly, you are quite a catch yourself. Um, 
I, I, I was at some point after we finish this, we can have uh, a bit more of a discussion around each of the each of the presentations. Um, this particular one, I, I, I really appreciated that you used both the aging and the sexual orientation to be included in the in this particular fiction piece that you're writing. All were it fiction. I'm sure that it's not just fiction, that it's true for many older people who have this experience. So thanks so much. Thank and you. next we'll have Janie. Um, this is a short story I wrote um, oh, a few years ago. And it's, um, it, it's about my coming out um, around the time I came out. And um, the title is The Hidden Dangers of Lesbian Symbolism. I remember buying my first Labyrinth. I bought it at a Christmas fair at Britannia Community Center. It was 1983 and I'd just come out. A labyrinth was like a, a secret handshake amongst lesbians. If you wore a labyrinth, you're, you were boldly claiming your lesbian sexuality. It was a must-have item. All the best lesbians wore one. The woman selling the jewelry was clearly a member of the team. Although she had a wide, wide selection of jewelry among the usual earrings, necklaces, bracelets, brooches, and pendants was a, a wide selection of labyrinths silver ones, gold ones, wooden ones, some large and bold, some so, so small you could hardly tell they were a double-headed axe. Um, I had seen a, go a few gold labras worn by bridge-playing lesbians of my acquaintance, and some wooden ones worn by those few women brave enough to proclaim their butchness in the largely androgynous lesbian community of the 80s. But most of the women I knew had silver labyrinths, some bold, some more modest, but nobody I knew had a small labyrinth. Uh, there were a lot of sideways glances from the crowd of women milling around the jewelry stand as I chatted animatedly with the artist who had created these things of beauty. Beauty in this case clearly being in the orientation of the beholder. Uh, what about this gold one, the vendor asked. No, I don't play bridge. How about this wooden one? The woman gave me a speculative look and said, no, perhaps not. I think I like this one, I said, opting for the medium silver axe. My selection finally made and my medium declaration of my lesbian self securely around my neck, I set off fully prepared to explain the significance of my choice my choice of jewelry to anyone who asked. I did not, however, imagine that this preparedness would include defending myself against a charge of assaulting my older daughter made by her school principal. It all started innocently enough. Sue, my older daughter and I were engaging in a little roughhousing and I had finally rolled Sue on her back and pinned her arms down and said, say aunt, it's uncle and I won't say it. Ouch, Sue yelped. She was clearly hurt. I, I jerked back, wrong move. My labrys had caught in her nose. When I pulled back, the edge of the labrys cut her nose. Uh, it was a small cut, but it bled for a good half hour. 
My younger daughter, Samantha, looked at her sister, who was holding wads of tissue to her nose, and then she looked at me. She'll probably bleed to death, you know. No, Sam, it's just a small cut. She'll be fine. We spent the rest of the evening in more subdued pursuits, playing an endless game of Monopoly and watching Cagney and Lacey on TV. The next day, a half hour after I got home from dropping the kids off at school, I received a call from the school principal, Mr. Russell. Mr. Russell did not like me, probably because I was a lesbian. Um, or, or possibly because I was a feminist, or perhaps because he didn't like Birkenstocks. Whatever the reason, he didn't like me. Mrs. Colley. There was something in Mr. Russell's tone that indicated that I should not point out yet again that it was Ms. Colley. Yes, Mr. Russell? Mrs. Colley, a serious matter has come up concerning your daughter, Sue, and I think we need to discuss it in person. What's happened? I immediately went into fierce mother mode, fueled by panic that something had happened to my child. I'd rather not discuss it over the phone, Mrs. Colley. Could you please come to the school as soon as possible? I'll be there in 20 minutes. I made it in 15 and was immediately ushered into Mr. Russell's office. Before I even had a chance to sit down, Mr. Russell said, your daughter, Samantha, announced to her class during roll call this morning that you cut her sister's nose with an ax. The teacher reported this to me. As you know, I'm obliged to report the suspected case of child abuse to the authorities. I wanted to hear your, your explanation before I proceeded with this matter. Well, I felt a surge of relief pass over me and then a need to kind of organize my thoughts. Well, um, well, actually, Sue and I were roughhousing, and, um, and she caught her nose in my necklace. It was a very small cut. Have you actually seen Sue today? Does she look like she's been attacked by an axe-wielding parent? Well, why on earth would Samantha say that you cut her nose with an axe if it wasn't true? <laughs> Mr. Russell knew from long experience that Samantha was not loath to dramatizing events. I could only conclude that he was so delighted to have found yet another potential flaw in my personality that all semblance of good sense had fled. I held up the labyrinth. I'm sorry, I don't have it right now. This is the axe in question, I said. Mr. Russell looked at the object I was holding up. What exactly is that? It's a labyrinth. What on earth is that? Well, it's a double-headed axe, uh, generally taken as an indication. I didn't get to finish my explanation. Why would you wear that around your neck? I looked at Mr. Russell. He was wearing a dead man on a cross around his neck. I didn't comment on his choice of jewelry. Look, Mr. Russell. Why don't you just have Sue come down to the office, ask her what happened, ascertain the extent of her injury, and based on evidence, judge for yourself whether or not anything other than an accident happened. Sue clearly gave a credible account of the events of the previous night, and the minor nature of the injury convinced Mr. Russell that he didn't have a Lizzie Borden on his hand, just a lesbian. When I brought my labyrinth, my lovely silver labyrinth, I was hoping that people would ask me what it symbolized. Uh, but this certainly wasn't the 
thank you. Oh, that's not a, that, that's no, not elaborate. <laughs> Sorry, I was I was getting props from my partner. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Janie. Can you sh can you show it? Have you got it right there now? No, she doesn't. No, um, Zed is is rummaging through my jewelry box, and we can't find it. <laughs> All right. Well, may, maybe that's a sign that you no longer need to wear it. No, I, the 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 last time I read this story, um, the 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 chain broke, and so ever since then I've been meaning to get a new chain, but alas, it hasn't been a priority. <laughs> Uh, what I've posted in the chat, if people are interested, is uh, a blog spot called Finding Lesbians, and it talks about this symbolism of the Labrys and a uh, little bit of the history about it. So um, you might find that interesting. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And there's a picture there. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, um, unfortunately, many of the, uh, the, the members of Quirky are away. Um, it is supposedly some summer month. Um, and so there were only a few people that were available to actually read today. Um, so I'd like to open it up to any conversation, questions, comments um, that anybody has. Maybe just put a finger up so if you want to say something or maybe put a hand up so that we don't all talk at the same time and somebody put your hand up first i have something to say yes kendra um when it comes to two-spirited my daughter's trans mm -hmm. she's 37 years old she's beautiful and if you'd like to know more about her you can go on youtube and uh, she has YouTube, a YouTube channel under Jerrica McBride. And one thing I'd like to say is when it comes to two-spirited people, you, like you were talking about their uniqueness, to me, two-spirited people are able to give you an opinion of a man and a woman. Uh -huh. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, I'll I say Kendra's going to be talking about that next week when we are doing, uh, talking oh. about Two-Spirit in Indigenous Pride. Oh, great. So, so the other thing is I didn't quite catch the, the name to look for under the, under the YouTube. Jerrica McBride. Okay, Jerrica. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I mean, the whole issue of Two-Spirit folks is very interesting. And <clears throat> I have to say that many times in my life, I've been quite envious that um, there is a terminology for that within, within First Nations culture, the two spirits. Because I think many of us incorporate both male and female aspects, but we're stuck in this, still stuck in this binary place where we're either male or female. And it's very difficult to it's very difficult to find something that truly expresses who we are. So I really look forward to looking at her, her, her YouTube piece and also being here next week. Yes. So thanks well, very much. One dominates the other. That's what I feel. And okay. one, one thing that, that isn't available is a lot of support for the parents who are raising two-spirited children. Mm. Yeah. And that, 
that's something I'll touch on next week too, as well as what it's like as a parent. Right. Right. Farron. Yes. Um, I, I met a young man at the gym uh, quite a few years ago who was uh, indigenous and two spirited and he was going to go for a job interview and it had to do with um, domestic abuse, victims of domestic abuse, mostly within his culture. And um, he said, I'm not sure whether I should tell them that I'm too spirited. And um, so I don't know, I don't know how they took it, but I said, you know, it's a gift. You have a gift. And if you can get that across to them that you walk both paths, you understand, you know, uh, when you're speaking to the women, you also understand when you're speaking to the, the men, if they are the ones that are doing the abusing. So, uh, I, I'm sorry I didn't keep in touch with him, so I don't know if he was brave enough to put that forward because it was about 10 years ago. But it does offer a unique perspective, and these are people we should treasure, not uh, ostracize. Yes, good advice. Thank you. Uh, Cindy? Um, I thought I would just give a, a brief ex experience of what it was like for me to be in the Pride Parade. And I was trying to remember the year that would have been my first one. Uh, I mean, I came out as a lesbian in Vancouver in 1976. But I think the first time I went to a Pride Parade, the one that's on, that was on um, Denman and Beach Avenue, would have been about 1991. And um, I was already uh, doing a lot of work with people who had AIDS through, through my job. And I had created a kind of a rainbow clown costume that uh, was supposed to cheer them up. And that's what I was wearing on that day. And I was handing out candy uh, to children who were watching. I was so delighted that there were many children. And I'm sure that even by that time, there were tens of thousands of people who were watching the parade. And I remember the experience of being cheered by tens of thousands of people for something that I still felt afraid to tell a single individual at work about myself. Like that's the transformative power I feel of, you know, to be cheered for something that I felt I was going to be punished for was really did something inside me. Thanks. Thanks, Cynthia. That's, inter that's interesting. You said the word punishing. You feel like you're being punished, and that's that's you could I couldn't have said it better. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm in. I'll share a little bit about uh, not about my first pride participation, but one of the one of the uh, pride parades that was the most impactful for me. Um, most of you know that I do a lot of work work with LGBTQI um, refugees. And so uh, one of the concerns that many of the refugees have, even when they have arrived in Canada, that if they're photographed or if there's um, this social media stuff, that it's quite possible that their families back home who they are not out to or if they have been out to, they're, 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 they're afraid that the punishment will still continue, even though they're in Canada. 
And certainly many of them have the means to actually reach out uh, across oceans and, and continents. Um, so we had to think about, okay, so we, we want to have them have the opportunity of walking in the Pride Parade. So what'll we do? So we ended up with everybody, no matter who, no matter whether you were new or old or whatever, everybody wore all white, white tops, white bottoms. And the other thing then we did was to buy masks. And we got those full face masks that are also white. Um, and, and everybody had one of those on, didn't matter whether you were from Canada or, or some other place. And I remember walking in the Pride Parade and walking past those, those tens of thousands of people, and there was silence. It was actually really incredible to see that number, to hear or not hear that number of people who were watching the Pride Parade in silence, really recognizing that, uh, that, that this, was, this is a serious issue. And, uh, and, and, and I think that was the most impactful um, experience of pride or being in the pride parade that I've had personally. Wow. Hmm. There's a question I have that, um, that always comes up. When did you know? How old were you when you knew? Yeah. And, and does your daughter answer or your, what pronoun does she use? He used. Uh, tra uh, she's, uh, we call her she. She, okay. Yeah. Some people call her he because of family relatives can't get used to the idea. Right. Yeah. And she's, I've known her as a her. I wouldn't recognize her as a boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a question. Um, you had your... Yeah, I have my little hand up. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's this whole issue of uh, police um, marching in the Pride Parade in various years, including this one. And I actually know out gay police. Uh, actually, one of my colleagues, her partner, uh, was out and gay as a member of VPD. And she used to come in the visit us uh, where I was working in the downtown east side quite often and you know help the students and things like that but um, I wonder and, and I've also bumped into people who were in the military who were gay uh, and I wonder what percentage of, of uh, people in um, law enforcement or the armed services are uh, LGBTQ uh, or um, and why on earth is there such static against them? It, it, it's, it's a very bizarre thing. United States is a little weirder than we are, but um, hmm, I just wonder about that. That's a whole kettle of fish, and I've been curious about that. Mm -hmm. So is there anybody who would like to address, anybody would like to address that? I, I have no clue about the percentages in the in the military or the police of LGBT folks. If anybody else does speak up. I have no clue. <laughs> no, no, me neither. I wonder, um, I know that there's the harassment issue and, and I just wonder um, uh, in your communities, uh, 
but whether you, you have members who are police or, or uh, armed forces uh, that you know of yourself. Are you I, talking? I, cer oh. I certainly know. Uh, Farron, were you going to say something? Go ahead. No, I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know anyone in my circle. Just. I, I do. I have a friend who's in the police force, a woman. So do I. Yes. And uh, as far as I can tell, she certainly doesn't experience any harassment. She's quite a force to be dealt with in and of herself. So. <laughs> More recently, we're certainly hearing lots of stories about how women in, in the RCMP, for example, uh, are, have experienced and continue to experience a lot of harassment. So there still is that two, that that those two levels right um and so my 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 guess from what i know is uh that a lot of for a lot of lesbians going into the armed forces or going into the police force offers them an opportunity to do something that many people have judged to be a male occupation and yet we've been talking about the two spirits. There are many of us who also have that sense of, of, of that balance between male and female. So I, don't, I haven't really asked why they do it, but that, uh, that would be my guess. Mm -hmm. I know that I knew a teacher that was uh, uh, two-spirited and he had such a rough time. He was one of the best teachers for my daughter. Mm -hmm. But then they fired him, right? They found the, the they found a reason to kind of get rid of him because yeah. they weren't happy with his sexuality. Yeah, I was so upset because he was a really good teacher, and yeah. my daughter adored him. How, how long ago was that? Uh, how long ago was that, Kenyon? Because I, when I retired from the board, I retired uh, uh, my principal that I had for the last uh, almost ten years of. Uh, my career was openly gay and his husband used to come to uh, our student parties and things like that. So, uh, and I'm so glad and I know 25 years ago, he wouldn't have got that job. Yeah, well, this was, my, my daughter's 37. So mm. she was about uh, six or seven years old. Mm. She knew from an early age that she was too spirited, my daughter. We, <laughs> we kind of knew too, but we didn't know if I knew then what I know now, it would have been different. I, I think that's true for many of us, if we knew yes. then what we know now. Yes. <laughs> and certainly 30 years ago, I mean, my, my, I returned to Canada just over 30 years ago. And the, the experience and the reality of LGBTQI people in, in Canada at that point was, was, was pretty fragile. I remember when my partner and I went looking for a place to live after we, after we returned to Canada, we started looking for apartments and we went to one of them and the guy who was the manager of the building said, oh, we don't rent one bedroom apartments to two women. And that was my first, my first experience of, of discrimination in Canada, apart from the fact that, that I, had to deal with a whole immigration issue, which certainly was a big one. But to think that, to think that we could be told in those days that, sorry, we just don't rent to you. 
yeah. I've had, I've had that experience quite a few times. We used to move around a lot because of that. Neighbors would find out, the landlord would find out, you know, so, and people used to say, you move around a lot, but I never ever gave them the reason why. I never told anybody. Yeah. Well, and back then it wasn't particularly safe, right? No, it, it, re it really wasn't. And I think many of us developed uh, really good um, shields around us to, to protect ourselves um, from whatever might get thrown at us, right? Anybody else like to comment on? I'm talking too much. I'm sure there are other people who could speak more. Yes, Robin. Uh, well, I know Charlotte had her hand up, so I'll, I'll, I'll let her talk and then I, I'll comment. I had a comment about uh, Farron's story. I, I thought that story had so much lovely texture because uh, I was picturing the feelings of this, this man who had, had, been, had a wife and then the feelings he was developing about uh, with with this younger man and that he could sit down with his grandson because people talk so much about there being this distance between generations but uh, it was so credible but also so tender that he, he was telling him go for it you know I respect what you did as a husband to my grandmother but now you know that this is how you're feeling for this man go for it and I think that that uh, it's not a story that's often heard and that would be encouraging to other people who may have at one time been married to someone of a different sex, but now have feelings for someone of the same sex. And it, in discussions you know, with people, that's, that's one of the things that people often say, how could that happen? So I think that story would be, be really good for generating conversation around that. Yes. Thank you, Charlotte. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my comment, um, is kind of related to that, but um, really jumps off the, the ledge, Chris, um, from what you opened with saying, you know, there's, there's this, this place of sort of tolerance and acceptance, but, but what we're really seeing a lag still in is welcoming. Mm -hmm. And in all of the, the stories, um, one of the things that I, I appreciated was the, the sort of checks and balances between those two places, you know, um, and, and the, the, the struggle to, to sort of learn where that place is um, of not just being accept, but accepted, but, but being welcomed. And I think too, you know, when we're talking about, um, you know, the police force or the military or, you know, these other institutional systemic bodies that, um, that have authority over society, you know, the, the, the rule is that we need to be accepting and we need to be tolerant, but, um, you know, the reality of being welcoming is still uh, a far cry um, from where we need to be in all sorts of ways. And we see that play out politically right now, you know, in terms of Black Lives Matter um, wow. and how, you know, if you're not part of the mainstream still, that position of, of welcoming is still in such lack. Um, and so, 
you know, what I, what I hear Charlotte always say is, you know, how do we speak up, listen up and act upon? Um, and what are those avenues that, you know, as, as allies, um, what does it mean? And, and how can we, um, as people outside of the community, really be and stand in solidarity? Mm. Thanks, Robin. Uh, Cindy. Um, what, one of the connections to me about what you're saying, Robin, with Janie's story, humorous as it is, um, it, it starts with this understanding that um, to be a lesbian mother is to just to, to be in the wrong. And um, in the way that I think Indigenous, Black people, people of color, are assumed by systems of power to just be in the wrong, just just for being, or trans people to just be in the wrong, just to be, and so that some, you know, funny, in, innocent little cultural thing that is happening um, cannot, you know, you have to justify it. You can't just say it was a joke. <laughs> you know, it was it was nothing. Somehow or other. You know, you you have to account for yourself in some way that you know is not necessarily going to go well. I mean, an example of this is that uh, when I was a manager of a program, uh, I had about 200 people who were employees in that program, almost all of them women. I never, ever hugged them, you know, because I assumed that you know, if any single person ever said, you know, she was physically inappropriate with me, had I been a heterosexual woman, I'm sure I would have hugged them once in a while. They often had sad stories or difficult things they were going through. And I was a kind, compassionate manager, but I did not feel that I could touch any of my staff ever because it would be assumed to be in the wrong for me to have any physical contact. So I probably seem kind of cold. It's a built up defense mechanism that two spirited people always have. My daughter's always been like that. She has to really filter what, how she is, what she says, you know. Yeah. It's unfair. <laughs> There's the assumption that people are just not going to understand in a yeah. certain you know, and that therefore you can't be yourself or be natural. You'll yes. be misunderstood in a bad way. Yeah, yeah. Farron? Uh, yes, I, I found that as, as a man that uh, working in the helping profession as well, I, I was very cautious about providing personal care to my male clients and uh, usually not leaving any uh, possibility for any judgment from other people. Also being uh, gay and working my profession, any profession I was ever in, I worked twice as hard as any of my peers because I felt like I had to prove that I, I uh, my worth, I guess. So I was constantly uh, I'm having to prove my worth and about ways of Men, when growing up, that one of the things we said, and I just thought it's kind of humorous because here I am today in a pink shirt. One of the things they said in the 60s was, if you wear pink on Thursday, that means you're gay. <laughs> and so, 
So I wore pink as often as I could. <laughs> Not just on Thursdays. Well, especially on Thursdays. <laughs> I remember that from the 60s. Um, one thing that I'd like to touch on about this matter is um, if you go back 100 years, um, 1920, my grandmother talked to me about this. Um, anybody who was Ukrainian, like my, my family, um, they were beaten up on the bus if they spoke Ukrainian on the bus. And, and um, I'm just going, this is insane because it's usually the weapon of the ruling classes to make people afraid of each other. And we have to get rid of this fear. And the fear just comes into your mind and your heart and it goes through generation upon generation upon generation. Um, and if we can get rid of this fear of the other, that all of us are brothers and sisters underneath anyway, and, and uh, the whole idea of race, et cetera, is, is an illusion. That's where we've got to go. But um, how do we do it? That's the story. I know that in my lifetime, there's been extreme social change. But it's not over yet, folks. And we've got to keep on plugging, get rid of this fear that separates us from our brothers and sisters in the planet. Most definitely. Somebody? Janie. Um, as far as this sort of um, being in the wrong for being uh, lesbian or being gay or whatever, um, things have come light years since when, when I came out because I was told by a lawyer that if I, I went to court, I would lose my children. In spite of the fact that my husband was a batterer, I would lose them because um, being a lesbian was clearly a much worse thing. Um, and that, I mean, I, it's just such a wonderful thing to just see um, um, two women parenting and, and having, the having children and, and two men being able to do that. I mean, I don't, I don't assume that all of the sort of uh, negative um, thoughts of people have changed, but certainly they, there's been um, a real, real change in that, in that area, as well as many others. But, you know, we shouldn't, you know, get carried away with feeling all happy about it because there's so many other areas, but so many other fronts to fight on. As we witnessed uh, in the country south of us, that can be taken away in a nanosecond by craziness have to safeguard it and 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 still you know what I mean it, it, it's hard yeah so yeah yeah Charlotte yeah I had a thought about older people and children I'm a grandmother and then my I had two fathers <laughs> my uh my my birth father was a military man he was in war from uh before I was born uh, he was called off to whatever war they were having in 1945. Uh, but he wasn't as involved in my life as my stepfather. My stepfather was very hugging, nurturing boys and girls. But as my um, children and I got involved with my father, 
if my sons would get ready to hug or kiss him, he would say, what's wrong with you? Who's been teaching you this? Boys are not supposed to, you know, kiss men and, and would push them away. And so when you mention this, you know, thinking about within the military, that, you know, here's a black man in the military. There were many things that they were discriminated against. Uh, being away at war, coming back to the States and having any type of thing that ran against the, the dominant colonial culture uh, was another thing that was a drawback or something else that they would be punished for, not accepted. And so uh, I know that men, you know, were, were hazed, that there were people within our block, you know, people would talk about, um, they would call men sissies and, and would do things, some some people would do things, you know, on their, their doors or whatnot. And so understanding some of the transition that's come about where organizations now even within that community, welcome men who, who are gay, welcome people to be involved with boys. You know, a lot of organizations, people would be put out of YMCA, some groups, if a man or a woman were determined to be, or, you know, admitted to being gay, they were, were not allowed to be a, a part of the association. So I think being able to tell these stories, some of the old stories, children sometimes think old stories of things people used to do are hilarious. They think it's ridiculous. And so I said that what we need to do is lace up our shoes, go out to the libraries, the places where we can tell stories to children because, um, you know, they get it. They get it, the wrongness. And children, when they learn this is what the law is, they want to see if it's equal. I mean, there are children out protesting in the protest marches, you know, saying, I want to live, or I want freedom, or, I want democracy. So I think these stories, one of the values of the stories being in the library, being heard on podcasts, is that children can hear them and they can ask questions. And that we'll have more people that would be like the uh, the grandson and Farron story that say, be yourself, live your life. What's wrong with you? <laughs> it's, you know, your feelings are legitimate. So I just think that, you know, these stories are wonderful stories to, you know, not just share among ourselves, but to share them in places where we can generate conversations with, with children and youth. And then we will move from that just um, accepting to welcoming. Anybody else? Well, I, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, it's hard sometimes to be patient while these things move on. It seems at times that they're like a, at a snail's pace. And, uh, but in retrospect, it seems like it moves very quickly. I had a quick uh, experience with one of my residents who's developmentally challenged. And uh, in the beginning, his dad would come to visit him and I'll call him Brock. So Brock would move in for a hug and his dad would extend his hand and say, oh, no, no, guys, guys shake hands, son. Mm -hmm. And uh, I put up with it a couple of times. And finally, I just said, Brock, look, your poor old dad can't handle it. You know, so shake his hand to keep him happy. But someday we'll break him down. And then a couple of years later, and then I noticed he was hugging Brock. But a couple of years later, his Brock's brother was there. And uh, his dad said to uh, his brother, said, well, I guess it's time to go to the airport. And his brother said, what? What, who, who we have to pick up? And his dad said, nobody, but it's the only place they ever get a hug from you. Aww. So, uh, you know, patience and time, I think. Yeah, yeah. Can I say something? Sure. Uh, you were talking about um, accepting and being taught things. One day I was in the bank with my daughter 
and she's about 15, 16 years old, and she kind of had five o'clock shadow, but she looked like a female. And we ran into a couple of friends of ours in the lineup, and it had been raining, and she had two boys with her, her two boys. And we were standing right behind her, and she said hi to me. And I said, oh, hi, how's it going? And she, the mother turned around and looked at her boys and pointed to my daughter and said, that's a guy. Like trying to ridicule her right away. Mm -hmm. So I tapped her on the shoulder and I said, you know what? I said, one day you're going to regret that. I said, what if one of your children turns out to be the same way? And guess what? Ten years later, her child did become gay. And she phoned me and thanked me for helping her in that respect, right? So you can educate people. <laughs> and it comes out of nowhere. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking through some of the comments about, about evolution or the, yeah, the thing, how things develop. And I remember in the early years, it was really important to the queer community that there were police officers in uniforms in the pride parade because we wanted to know that that there were um, members of the police force or the military or the fire whatever fire guys that were part of our community but there's been a shift because the other thing that we've learned to recognize is that not everyone has exactly the same experience uh, with respect to authority, particularly those with that kind of power. And so I, I know when we were having a discussion at the organization that I belong to, are we going to write a letter to support the Pride Society that says uh, we, don't, we, don't, we don't want the police uh, to march in the Pride Parade in their uniforms? And it was really tough because as somebody who's older, we went through the time when we really wanted them to be there so that they would be visible and it would decrease, it would decrease people's fear. But now we're in a place where we recognize that, that, that um, the racism that exists and that gets perpetrated through those kind of um, organizations is also exists and as somebody who works with refugees most of whom if not almost all of whom are people of color and the experiences that they have had in their home countries of people in power uh, being their being their persecutors being the people who raped them it's it's not easy for them to go for a, a transition from what the experience was in their first 18, 19, 20 years of their life, and then come here and we expect them to be, um, oh, you know, you can go and talk to a policeman. Or, and, and the reality is we know that that's not true. So I, it's, it's interesting to me how, how there's been that evolution that not just, that in our community as well, that we've had some, development and needed to have some development in terms of learning to be more inclusive. We fought to be included ourselves, so we know what it's like to be exclu excluded, at least on some level or other. So it's just interesting to me how, how things sometimes just go around. Right? Mm. 
I am just conscious of the time uh, <laughs> and that we're past the, the hour, which is the regular podcast sort of time. And I, I, I kind of feel like this conversation could go on and on and on and on because there's a lot to, to, to talk about. Um, so I, 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 I guess what I would like is if, if just as a closing, um, maybe we can do the same thing that we did to, to start um, and just say our names again, but maybe with a word of aha or um, learning or something that we're taking taking away with us today from uh, from the presentation and from the the rich discussion that we've had um, as a close. Um, and I want to thank. Uh, Janie and Cynthia and Farron for sharing and for Chris for hosting and uh, yeah um, I, I can go my name is Robin and I am taking away um, just an immense amount of gratitude I think for the the, the sharing of, of your experience and how enriched I feel um, by your stories and your poem. Uh, Leslie? Uh, yes, I'm taking away a sense of reflection and looking back on perhaps things I weren't aware of in my life before, um, I have had uh, interactions with transgender people through my life and have really not understood what's going on. So uh, this has actually been very educational for me. So thank you. Farron? Uh, um. I'm a quirky, so I can't say anything in one or two words, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I think I'm taking away confidence, uh, more confidence and patience and uh, sharing my story and listening to other stories. Um, the patience one is like, uh, like I said, with the hugs, uh, that brother who got father wanted to hug from, he's got four boys. So there's always the ripple effect. Now he'll carry that back to his boys. And I think sometimes it's very subtle. We don't know when we compliment a child, the effect that that will have on their entire life possibly. Um, so being honest with our feedback and our feelings, I think is uh, for me is the best thing that I can do moving forward. Thank you. Cynthia. Uh, starting off today feeling um, mournful about the anniversary of Hiroshima. Now, uh, you know, through the open-hearted dialogue today, I feel hopeful. Thank you. Janie? I feel uh, appreciation for everybody's willingness to uh, join in and comment and, um, and the honesty 
the honesty and openness of today's uh, chat. Thank you all. Kendra? Um, I'm taking away today a lot of love and respect. And one reminder, Jerrica McBride is on YouTube. So please <laughs> look into it and you'll know if you're coming in next week uh, to this group, you will see who I'm talking about. Yeah. Gail. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Gail. <laughs> Uh, one was difficult, but I'm thinking welcome, and I'm thinking of uh, family, the human family, and and gratitude that we're all in this together, and uh, and uh, perfect love cast out fear. Luke. Yeah, no, I've just, uh, it's been so good hearing your guys' stories. Um, it's just made me think a little bit about when I grew up. I, I grew up on the West End uh, for the first six, seven years, and a lot of my mom's friends were gay, and of course I was so young, I had no idea what that meant or anything like that. And then moving to the island, it was definitely not as uh, gay-friendly a place, so just it's making me reflect quite a bit hearing your stories. Chris? Yes, I, I, I'm also really grateful for having had this opportunity and this experience of those of us that are here. And I'm grateful because this is a podcast. And so I'm hopeful that other older adults will also hear this podcast um, and also pr provide them with some opportunities for sharing, for reflection. The other thing I just want to say is that CBC podcast has one called Them and Us. Mm -hmm. And one of the episodes recently was about transgender people. So if, if you want more, uh, CBC podcast Them and Us, um, it, that particular episode, it's, it's really good. So. Thanks, for everybody. Thanks for this opportunity, Charlotte. And you want to take us out, Charlotte? Yes, my words are inspired and resolved because I'm resolved to create platforms for discussions like this beyond Pride Week. It's not just Pride Month that is the time for these uh, sharing of stories and, and um, getting other people involved. So thank you all very much. Uh, we will be here again next Thursday, and we invite all of you to reach out, come back, tell a friend that there is something exciting happen, happening on Powered by Age. And Kendra, we'll look forward to your stories next week, and I'll see you then. Mm -hmm. The more you. we get together, the happier we'll be. <laughs> uh, just one note before everybody leaves, there is a book called Transgendered Warriors. I can't remember who it's by but it's a good read. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you everyone. Thank, thank you, you have a good day you guys. You guys did a wonderful program. Thank you so much. Thank you, Luke. Take care everyone. Thank you, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.